Welcome, everyone, to It's a Wrap with Rap. I am your host, Ron Rappaport. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire and motivate, and people who can educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Aaron Smith. Aaron was born in Appleton, Wisconsin in 1995 to a wonderful family. He is an autistic musician, an actor, and an Elvis Presley tribute singer. Aaron lives with autism and Asperger's and has endured being bullied and threatened growing up and in high school, but he never let it bring him down. He was kicked and punched for being different, but he always turned to music for comfort, and he believes in music being a healing thing for him. Welcome, Aaron, to the podcast. What a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Ronald. It's a pleasure to be on the program. Let's start at the beginning. How did you discover your singing talent? I would have to say at a young age, uh, I wasn't ever really into the Little League and the sports. I, I, I kind of drifted towards music and anything music. Um, so probably choir when I was in middle school and, and high school, I, I pursued that. And I really found myself studying hard on that. And having kind of a, a knack for wanting to do something in the, whether it's choir or Broadway or something like that. I just, I like that over the typical little league or football or baseball. Sure, sure. So when did your passion for Elvis music start and how long have you been doing your Elvis tribute singing professionally? Oh my gosh. I would have to say the, the enjoyment and the, the, the wanting, the lust for doing that goes far back as age eight, eight or nine years old. Um, but professionally, I want to say I started in about 2016, 17. Um, I started getting the costumes and, and really developing a set list and learning the songs and rehearsing and practicing the material and watching the movies and, and really diving into it kind of full speed ahead. And so what was it about Elvis that, that really got you, you know, revved up about him? Just the, oh what about God. the persona? Oh, man, the man could walk in a room and it's like you could feel him there, even watching the footage. But I'd have to say my father and I watched a movie called Elvis, That's the Way It Is. And it was a documentary filmed at the uh, International Hotel in 1970. Um, when he just came back from the 68 special and that 68 special is phenomenal. I'm not knocking the 68 special, but when he played Vegas in those costumes, the way he got the women riled up and walked around the room and even the men for that part, I was just in shock that an entertainer could, could kind of go to a, I don't want to say drab, but a very stuffy Frank Sinatra type city and then overnight just completely flipped the the coin in the entertainment world and 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 just that was incredible to me yeah you know we were talking uh off off set here and i was telling you that i actually saw the king in person 1971 i'm kind of dating myself but uh i saw him at the international hotel perform and and he was definitely amazing yeah and that was a good year for him 70 yeah. 69 to 71 72 yeah and i gotta tell you there were elvis billboards everywhere in that town they were everywhere oh yeah, i wish you... i had it i wish i had it in front of me but i have a lot of memorabilia from the hilton that i'm sure the phrases will jog your memory but 
It's Elvis now at the International Hotel. Here, Elvis on RCA records and tapes. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, and, and I still Colonel I, Parker. Yeah, Colonel Parker. I watched a thing. That's funny you say that because I was watching a documentary about Parker, and I believe it was either his wife or his assistant who, who when he worked for the Hilton, he said, "I even want the Gophers in the desert. I, I want everybody to know Elvis is here." But I even want the gophers in the desert to know that Elvis is here. <laughs> that that is true, because uh, I know that those billboards were all over the state of Nevada. They were out in the desert. Yeah, yeah, I saw pictures of that. Uh, what was it like growing up with autism, and how did it affect your school life and, and your friendships? Can you talk I would a little bit about that? Sure, I, I would love to. I would have to say at a young age in the early 2000s, there wasn't much advocacy for it like there is now. Yeah. I want to say they were just starting. Um, it was difficult even at a young age because there was always something different or obscure. And and kids don't understand at a young age, which is to be expected, you know, you're still developing. But it yeah. was hard because I was always questioning, is there someone like me? And why don't they like me, I guess, to a point of, you know, your normal young, you know, child friendships of it. It seemed like I had to try even harder to, to make those friendships and keep those friendships rather than uh, my other playmates or, or kids my age. Okay, how often uh, were you bullied growing up? And at that time, were there resources to access to stop it? Or did you just have to cope with it? And, and, and if so, how did you cope with it? There wasn't much. I mean, the school did have some, you know, their anti-bullying policy. But at that time, it wasn't really enforced like it is in school districts now. So it was more or less, uh, you know, unless it got physical, you just kind of had to take it. And yeah. the frustrating part was, Many times it got physical and there wasn't really any repercussions for it. So the kids did continue to do it or it was excused because, oh, you know, Aaron can be annoying at times or Aaron can be obnoxious or Aaron is different. So it was frustrating because it everything, it was everything. There wasn't probably one thing in the book, as I say, that hadn't happened to me during my course of, of uh, uh, elementary school to high school to, or to middle school to high school. And it was so difficult that, you know, I, I, I never gave up hope, but it was really, there were times where it was really dark and it was really like, I'd find myself crying or like locking myself in my room and my parents didn't know what was going on. So I felt bad about that because they didn't know really how to help me until, you know, I kind of let it out. No kid wants to be like, mom, I need you to come in school. And, you know, yeah. Yeah. You didn't need a nurse. So, so you were, you, you became very resilient. You really did. Didn't you? Extremely, extremely. And I credit my mom for that because uh, she was a, she, she was a truck drive, dispatcher for a trucking company. So she had to deal with that. So growing up her doing that, she taught me the, uh, that tough exterior you need to have and, and not to stoop to the level of you're better than that. You don't need to do that to fit in, but you also don't need to take it either, but there's a classy way of taking it. And, and it was difficult because, you know, going through different counselors and psychologists and different people, 
that was difficult for me because it's like I was getting so much different information. Yeah. That as a young kid, it was hard to, I guess, decide decipher the information that I wanted to, I guess, pick through or use. Right. Well, mom um, sounds mom sounds like a great lady. She really does. Was wonderful woman, toughest, strongest woman I know. My father was as well, and I look at them both and I go, how how did you deal with that? You know, because I have uh, I have other brothers and sisters, but um the dealing with it and then finding the ways and talking to the school and sometimes talking to other parents who didn't understand it were ignorant to the fact, um, you know, as a guy. Let me break away for a moment to tell you about a great veteran owned company making awesome products and giving back to the veteran and first responder community. Lucas Rui, an Air Force veteran, is co-founder of the Hero Soap Company in Arizona. He has always had a passion for using natural products, and his products that he manufactures are such a more healthier way to treat your skin. Every product is made in the United States with the highest quality ingredients. All products are created without fragrance, synthetic colorants, parabens, sulfates that are irritating to the eyes, skin, mouth, and lungs, and cruelty-free, meaning these products at the Hero Soap Company are not tested on animals. Each bar of soap is handmade in Phoenix, Arizona. All of the Hero Soap Company's ingredients are sourced from companies in the United States, as well as their clothing line of t-shirts, hoodies, and tank tops. They pride themselves as being the most American company in the United States. The product line includes five ounce square bar-shaped soap with the following scents. The woods, the sights and sounds of nature come to life infused with pine and cedarwood essential oils. Cedarwood infused with cedarwood essential oil and charcoal bringing the fragrant feel of the forest into your life. There's tea tree. This bold flavor will soothe, refresh, and make you feel alive. There's lavender. This fragrance will melt away anxiety and tension. Peppermint Cool, which will hit you with an amazing sensation of invigoration and exhilaration. There's Spearmint. The fragrance will leave a subtle coolness all day long to revitalize the body. And there's Lemongrass. Unwind at the end of the day while the lemongrass-infused essential oil enhances your sleep and immunity. And the infused goat's milk exfoliates dry and sensitive skin. And the coconut oil reduces inflammation and helps skin healing. The Hero Soap Company also makes a body wash in 16 ounces. There's lavender, which will let the stress melt off every time you shower. There's the pines. You will be cleansing your body, mind, and soul with the spirit of the forest. The meadow. This body wash will be an intense spark for your cleaning routine. It is juiced with an insane amount of oils that carries a current that captures the essence of freshness. The Arctic. This body wash is a glacial breeze of an eye-opening freeze. It has a ferocious peppermint punch that will refresh and restore your mind and body. Don't give it the cold shoulder. Liven up your daily routine with this frosty mint flavor. All the products are reasonably priced, so all can afford to use these natural products. It is so important now that all of us be careful what we ingest into and apply on our bodies. Please check out the website, HeroSoapCompany.com for pricing and a detailed description of all the products and customer reviews of the products. As a bonus to all It's a Wrap with Wrap listeners, please use the code RAP at checkout and receive a 15% 
discount. The Hero Soap Company strives to create a brand that pays homage to the values that our country was founded on by our forefathers. With a veteran of the United States Air Force as one of the owners, the company understands the dedication and sacrifice that each family makes to serve their country. A portion of sales is donated back to charities that are focused on helping veterans and our first responders. The company information will be listed in the podcast notes and featured on the podcast website, Facebook page, and Facebook group. I, my dad, still had, I want to say we were that last era, early 2000s, 90s of like old school parenting. And my dad would go toe to toe with a couple of these parents. And it's funny because same age and, and he would, they would both just say, you know, cause it was a small rural town. So people don't understand, but it was frustrating because he would get frustrated that he couldn't beat the crap out of those kids himself. Yeah. Aaron, what school topics were the most challenging for you? I would have to say math and science. Okay. Any particular, uh, are you better at, at it now? Math? I'm much better at it now. Yeah. I, uh, I still have a difficult time sometimes when it comes to uh, bigger numbers in, and I don't want to say like bigger numbers, but like if I couldn't use a calculator, I'd, I'd have some trouble when it comes to like money and that sort of thing, but much better. I had a teacher uh, eventually, I ended up getting pulled out of school and going to a private school. And I had a, at that school, it was an all boys private school. Um, and it was, there was a, her name was Ann Heinrich and she ran an all boys private school. I want to say there was three or four of us, but it was catered to us. It was, you know, it wasn't cookie cutter learning where everyone reads it the same. It was, it was catered to, which really helped because once I got it, I was able to, you know, get it and be like, okay, now I can go on to this, 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 this with mild help versus needing to be, have an aid with me or be walked through every level of the, the topic or the subject. Aaron, which, which song of Elvis is your favorite to perform and why? Oh man, that's a tough one. Oh, that's tough. He did so many good songs. I would have to say either uh, That's a Right Mama, CC Rider, which he opened with both. I'm assuming when you saw him, he opened with That's a Right Mama. But it would have to be Suspicious Minds. Suspicious Minds. Yeah, I love that song. One of the greats. Um, the moves. It's I like it for the moves and the karate, although I've split my pants a couple times doing that song on stage. Who were your top five musical influences? I would have to say first and foremost, Elvis, uh, Aaron Presley, um, Whitney Houston, Mary Wilson of the Supremes. Love her. Um, uh, Harry Styles, current kind of Elvis Bowie type. Um, Aretha and, oh gosh, I would have to actually go with... uh, Tammy Wynette. Tammy Wynette. Yes. You know, I got to go with you on, on that Whitney Houston one. There's nobody Isn't that can touch, nobody can touch her. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I have to agree with you. Your, your name is Aaron Elvis Presley's middle name, Aaron, right? Yes. Any yes. coincidence on that or. I don't think so. I don't. I mean, at, at a young age, I didn't think about it, but when I started doing what I was doing, my parents go, oh, my gosh, <laughs> this is strange. 
Because even if I've been to Tennessee and I've been to Graceland and it's spelled the same. Yeah, I know. Which is is (laughs) incredible. Um, I I know for a short while before the COVID, my bass player, Harold Carlson, great guy, he he came up to me one night and he goes, we got to think of a name for the show. We got to think of a name for the show. And he, we tossed around some names and I'm like, I don't, I want something catchy. He goes, how about the Aaron Presley show? And that, wow. that stuck. Yeah. More than even locally, it really took off because people put that together. But I, I don't know. I don't know. Cause I've, you know, I have so many, I have OCD as well. And so I obsess about a variety of topics, but I always laugh because it always comes back to Elvis from traffic lights to, to 1950s to Elvis it's it's an array of of things but i yeah <laughs> hindsight's 2020 so i think there had to be something although i have to quote my dad growing up he was a big elvis fan but he well, said one yeah. at a show because i pulled him up on stage and i said i said i wanted you to say something he goes i was a huge elvis fan back in the day but once you've listened to the same elvis record for like 800 times and you're growing up with your son who's it kind of loses its touch <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they, they got that middle name uh, uh, of yours. Uh, there must have been a reason. <laughs> there happened happen for a reason, you know. We sure do. Now, you, have, sure you do. have traveled doing your shows. Yes. What are some of your favorite places that you performed at? I would have to say first Memphis, Tennessee. Incredible. Even on a on any given day of me doing a show, there's always that that audience is always in the mood. Yeah. They're always in the mood for Elvis. Um, I would have to say, uh, probably, gosh, I'd say Memphis and and Florida and would have to be the top two that I really energetic crowd. Like I said, I haven't gotten out to Las Vegas. Memphis and Florida, incredible, incredible just audiences and Wisconsin. I love my hometown audience, but there's something about the electricity in in Florida and Tennessee that it's just, you almost feel like you're emulating him because the crowd gets that excited. Well, when you're back down in Florida, I'm going to have to catch your act. Yes. I would love, love to to let me know when you're down here. What are, what are some of your favorite stage wear outfits that you wear? Oh my gosh, I would have to say, surprisingly doing the Elvis thing, I don't have any jumpsuits. I do more of the, the two-piece wear, uh, uh, the two-piece suits. Now, not the, the 50s stuff, but like there's an outfit called, it's the 1969 press conference outfit. And it consists of a, a black suit jacket with a, a red and black silk scarf and um a pair of black dress pants and a pair of uh, floor some boots um, with no shirt, which I've pulled it off, but I, I swear Elvis is the only one who can do an opening night and come to a place with no shirt underneath. Too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, and, you know, and then I would have to say the other one was the Madison square garden press conference suit with the huge 24 karat gold buckle. Um, yeah. Big gold. <laughs> and which, he, he had those big collars too, didn't he? The high, yeah, they were. Yeah, they call yeah. It, they're called a Roman collar, or or something with the Romans when they used to have those because it's yeah they were folded up and they were like yay high. Yeah, yeah. 
I remember that. Incredible. But I would have to say the 69 to 72 um, era. I did have a suit when I was younger. The suit doesn't fit me anymore because I was like 10. But I did have a jumpsuit with the cape. But I'd have to say those because they're more free moving than a jumpsuit. Yeah. Um, that's that that and my 20 the big belt is is my favorite piece of stage wear. Um, but he was the king of bling. He was the king of bling. And I don't think anybody else goes on a wakes up in the middle of the night, catches a flight without telling their entourage and goes to the White House. You know, that's an Elvis. That's an yeah. Elvis. Thing. Absolutely. What is your favorite era of Elvis uh, to perform? What era do you like the best? I'd have to say 1969 to about 73, 74. I think so, too. On the list for costumes, though, with era, I definitely have the eagle suit on my list. It is it is definitely one of the ones, but I would have to say early 70s. Um, when I first started out, I had people say, well, you should do the early 70s because of your body type. Um, obviously, I've gained a little weight, but um, I started out doing doing the earlier years. It just was unfortunate because when I first first started out, I didn't have the sideburns. And, and I love the catalog uh, from, um, you know, when I was in Tennessee, I got to meet Mark James. He wrote Suspicious Minds. So that was, oh, my God, moment for me. Yeah. Like meeting Mark James, I met George Klein and I met his nurse who was with him. So, oh, my God, but I'm so clammy. But the catalog from them, uh, the Tony Joe White tune, Poke Salad Annie. Um, I love the early stuff because he went from ballads to fast songs. And he, you know, I heard from from some of his entourage that the people at the International, the orchestra and the band that he played, the TCB band with James Burton, some of the songs he only did once and they rehearsed them like 30 times. So I couldn't imagine being a musician and oh no he doesn't want to do that one yeah um but i love uh make the world go away that's an ant if i'm not mistaken who sing that's a country song but i'm trying to think if that's an andy that's not andy williams i'm trying to uh make the world go away i love how he covered the the country songs and and i that i did that early stuff is just fantastic before he kind of I don't want to say went on autopilot, but started making a caricature of himself in those later years. Um, I'd have to say the 69 to 73, 74 would be would be the the era of music I I really like. Aaron, what do you think of popular music today? Oh God, no, I'm quoting Elvis. Uh, I'm just an entertainer. I couldn't criticize anybody. <laughs> But I'm not going to say honey to you. I remember in a press conference, he goes, I couldn't do that, honey. I, I can't criticize. I'm just a Um, I'd have to say it shifted some in a good way and some in a bad way. I'd have to say in the negative way, um, I have to be careful. <laughs> I don't, don't insult um, half my audience here. No. <laughs> <laughs> They're going to drag me off the stage. They're going to be like the gong show and take the hook. <laughs> um, I'd have to say it takes less talent to make music now. Okay. That's fair. Technology-wise. Yeah. And I'd have to say I love new music. I just have always – I'm going to sound like an older person, but 
you don't have, I personally don't think you have to use profanity in a song to make music. Um, yeah, I agree. You don't, you don't need it in, uh, to be funny either. No, no. Unless you're Red Fox, then all bets are off. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I've actually seen Red Fox in person too. I love, I love, I'd have to say transcending the music. Um, I think there's a certain level uh, of sensitivity that isn't there anymore in the music industry. A little bit coarser, would you say? Yes. Yes, okay. I would definitely say that. I think you're I, right. I think you're right. But that's I listen, to, I listen to my era and I listen to the 50s and 60s. I could go from listening to Usher and Little Wayne to listening to the McGuire sisters to listening to Alan Jackson to listening to Elvis to listening to some doo-wop stuff. The whole variety. I know you have been to Graceland. You talked about that and performed during Elvis Week in Memphis. Can you tell us about that experience? Yes, I can. Oh, my gosh. What? Incredible. It was just incredible. It was. I've never been nervous before going on stage in my life. I've always loved the attention of being in front of a live audience. But I remember I felt like Elvis backstage at the International, the Hilton. My hands were shaking. I was sweaty. I kept running through the songs in my head that I've done a million times before. I messed up the opening song to CC Rider, which I've never done before. It was magical. It was incredible. From the moment I, you know, I get to a venue and I can talk with the sound people and all that, you know, that backstage stuff. From the moment that Space Odyssey came on and that first drum kick hit and the lights went up and I went out there, it was one, two, three, we're hanging on for dear life, let's go. And it was just energy like I've never felt in my life. Never felt. It was, I almost felt like it's one of those moments you just have to soak up. Yeah. And it was incredible. It was so incredible. Elvis fans are special really special people and he has i always say he has the best fans but it was surreal i mean i had a lady run up on stage and try to take my belt off that was interesting that's never happened before <laughs> yeah Honestly. that sounds interesting <laughs> and i said honey if it wasn't 24 karat gold belt i'd let you have it <laughs> yeah you're not letting go of that <laughs> no no but I, it was um, incredible it was just electrifying. And, you know, the funny part is there were so many guys that week performing at different venues that come down for that week from different parts of the world, different parts of the country. And you know how you, I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of the Comic-Con and anime conventions, right? Yeah. That's how it felt for the us guys to be like, do you need this belt? Do you need this necklace? Do you need this ring? Oh, I, I have that cape. If you're but it, it, it must have it, it must have been like uh a moment where you were you were meeting your brothers you know absolutely you, you guys were family Perfect. yeah very much so. it, was, and, it, and it had to be emotional it had to be very emotional it it was it, um the older and the younger generation kind of meshing of impersonators was very emotional because 
you get the the older ones that are very proud of the younger guys for kind of passing the torch. But all of them told me the same thing while I was down there. And I said, no, I'm not. They said, when you go to Graceland for the candlelight vigil, you get to walk up, take your moment. Priscilla's there. Elisa's that, you know, you're going to ball your eyes out. I said, no, I'm not. Man, we're <laughs> all 429 of them. We're right. And we all did kind of together. But it was it was an incredible thing because I remember seeing a kid. He looked like he was no more than eight years old, dressed as a, a tribute artist. And his reaction, he was doing the same thing we all were. He was crying like a baby and you know, holding his candle. And that when I saw him, he wanted a picture with me later, but um it touched me. It really said something about who Elvis was as a person, legacy and timeless. And that if an eight-year-old, which is emotional about this guy that's no longer with us, how special is that for an entertainer to have yeah. that man? Absolutely. Tell us about your uncle, Mark, and how he has helped you get into the entertainment business. Yes, my uncle, Mark Brink, Brinkman, he's actually in Florida. He, he has a, a place in Florida and then he travels. Um, he was probably the most, I want to say musically talented one in, in my side of the family growing up. He was a bluegrass. He wrote songs for so many different artists. I can't list them all. I remember we, uh, we got together last year and I misquoted, but he's, he's done so many songs for different artists and he's gotten so much recognition and awards for, for what he's done, but he's been doing that since he was about my age. And he's from Wisconsin as well, but he decided to go on the road and and find gigs as well. And he he pushed me for for pitch and for stage appearance and for, you know, you may sound good to your parents, but you, know, you got this to work on. You got that to work on. He really pushed me to show a more professional side in, in the business and not only being someone with a disability, but he kind of guided me so much so I wouldn't get taken advantage of in the business, but also uh, supported me because this is what I wanted to do and, and, and was able to kind of, on occasion, we don't get to see each other a lot, but on occasion when we get together, teach me a few things about music and, and guitars and, and itch. And, and he's actually a songwriter. I am not. So he, I, he's been trying to tell me, you know, you need to start writing your own material from your life experiences. You could have something if you just, tried and so i have to push myself to do that because i said i give you so much credit so much credit for for he used to live in ohio and he sold his house to travel with my aunt jan and uh incredible voice incredible voice um i just remember uh when i saw him once he he wrote a song called mama like the redbirds and it was um he said uh uh, in the in the blue Virginia sky, he goes. I said, didn't want to say in the blue Wisconsin sky because that didn't sound too good. He goes, so I said Virginia, but um, it was a song about uh, the day my grandmother passed, and and it was and he wrote wrote that, and uh, it was interesting because every time he he tells it, he says Wisconsin didn't sound so good, but um, he was on the road when that happened, and uh, I just I can't imagine. Uh, if I could get to that level in the music business, I would be very grateful because he's 
he's done a lot of things and I am very impressed and honored to call him my uncle because he sounds like a great guy. And I, I, I think you're going to, you're, you're, you're going to get to that ceiling. I have, I have confidence in that. Uh, what are your, what, what are your, what are your audiences like? You know, your tip of when, when you do your gigs, I mean, who's out there? It's very mixed. It can go from, like I said, people as old as like 20, early 20s to eight to 60 plus. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's extremely mixed, which I think is special as well, but a very mixed, very mixed. But the response and rapport I build with fans, not only here in Wisconsin and the States, uh, um, and and the ones that have watched podcasts and interviews in the UK and London, it's it's really mixed, but it's always you get the heckler in there, but it's always generally very extremely positive, um, and you know it, it's great because I I um, when I travel there's that anxiety because you're going somewhere new, somewhere different. Yeah, sure. And I have a buddy who uh, travels with me, which helps because anybody who's autistic, there's that routine they need, even if they're done the show a million times, done something. Um, I have a friend of mine, his name's Sebastian, and he travels with me. He's kind of, I call him personal assistant and bodyguard best friend. He, he knew me before I really started doing this, and I trust him, and I like to have somebody with me that knows my quirks and my tics and that isn't like, what's going on? So that helps me a lot. Um, and, and there's a lady by the name of Brooke Olson and another lady by the name of Cindy that are also, you know, there for me when I'm, when I'm playing locally and, and I was there as a, like a support team, but it's mixed. It's very, very mixed. Um, but it, I've never had a bad crowd. Well, that's good to hear. How, do, how, how does autism affect your performances and have you had any special training to cope with those challenges? I would have to say the biggest thing is usually the anxiety beforehand. I mean, a lot of pacing, a lot of, I don't want to say asking like, how's the sound? Is it good? Am I good? Is it good? Are there, you know, who, you know, that there's a lot of repetitive questions that are asked. And then the other one would have to be after a show coming down. I don't want to say as an, at an ego standpoint, but coming down from that, that high <laughs> um, is difficult. That's the difficult part. And sometimes it makes me appear arrogant or what have you or stuck up, but it's sometimes I don't even notice myself doing that after a show. If we're at a lounge or if we're out, I don't notice. And, and that's probably the most noticeable difficult part is, is I'm still in that mode of, of Elvis and being on stage. Yeah. Yeah. You're living that character. Uh, well, you did answer my question. One of the, my, the, the other question was, do you travel alone or with a posse like Elvis did? And uh, I guess you answered that. You have a, a little, a small posse. Small posse. Small posse. Cindy and Brooke, they help me also with, you know, daily living skills and that sort of thing locally. Yeah. But yeah. Sebastian, yeah, he goes on the road with me. And and we've had, just like Elvis, we've had our blowouts. We've had our fights, but, you know, but he's never, he's never really 
I guess, not supported me. And he's always been there to take the club, the chair, the fist, the angry husband that I kissed his wife after giving her a scarf. (laughs) But it's funny to see someone because he never really dresses up. I dress up, but he'll be in like a Nike shirt and blue jeans, right? Yeah. He'll be in the audience or backstage. And it's funny, like I'm waiting for this time that he's going to have to rush on stage in his Jordans and blue jeans to to get down to business, I would be like, because everybody expects him to be so well dressed. <laughs> Aaron, what advice and takeaway message for people trying to overcome their personal challenges do you have for them? Are people out there in our audience that are going through some personal challenges? You know, I would have to say, first of all, don't ever think it's too late or give up when it comes to like, I can get help or I can use resources or I can do what I want to do um, in life uh, to my full potential. There's always resources and there's always somebody out there that can help you. Um, And you may feel alone. You may feel like this is never going to end. This is never going to go away. This kind of cloud is going to hang over me. That feeling does go away. It does go away, but sometimes it comes back. But first and foremost, take things one day at a time. Don't don't worry too much too far in advance. Take things one day at a time and and keep good people in your corner. Uh, Don't let toxic, negative, and, and, and just terrible people leech off of you if they're not really going to be there uh, in the long term. And you'll see who those people are, but don't ever feel like you need to mask who you are to make people like you. Awesome advice. Excellent advice. What excites you the most going forward in your career? What excites you the most? I would have to say meeting the fans, meeting the fans and, and continuing to, to not only meet the fans, but like you said, you know, earlier, the brotherhood to see my other uh, brothers and sisters. There are some female ETAs, which is wonderful. But to see see the brothers and sisters out there and um, to continue touching people's lives, uh, not only through my my advocacy uh, for people with with different abilities, disabilities, but uh through the life and legacy of, of Elvis Aaron Presley and to, to continue meeting wonderful people across this great nation. Aaron, how can people contact you if they want to contact you? Is there a website Absolutely. or? Okay. Yep. My Facebook page is Elvis tribute artist, Aaron Smith. And my email is on there as well. And uh, you can PM me on there. You can send me an email. I believe my phone number is on there as well. So you can contact me through there. And then you can also follow me on Twitter. I just started a Twitter this year, you know, maybe (laughs) that, buddy. Yeah, right, right, right. Twitter. And they go, oh, no, now you got to get the Instagram, too. (laughs) I wish I was like one of those big name celebrities where they had someone that managed their 85 accounts. I'm not on Twitter. I am not on Twitter, but the, the podcast is on Instagram. I'm I'm learning that. (laughs) I am too. I feel old because I look at it and I go, the only thing I primarily use is Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. So Uh, what's your Twitter handle for people out there? 
my Twitter handle, gosh, no, I'm gonna have to look at it real quick. Okay. Um, I want to say it's 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 Aaron Smith. Um, let's see here. Hold on. At Aaron one 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 two. At Aaron one 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 two. Yes. Right. Okay. I'll put. I, I'm going to list that in the podcast notes. I want to thank you, Aaron. I want to thank you, Aaron, for being here and sharing your story. It is so so inspiring to see uh, how you have overcome. And, and are continuing to overcome a challenge. Your spirit of not giving up and moving forward with a purpose is so great to see. I wish you all the best, mm -hmm. and I hope to see you perform one day. Uh, everybody, comments and suggestions to improve the podcast, you can email us at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. You can get on our mailing list. Website, it's a wrap with rap.com. Facebook page and group, it's a wrap with rap. The Facebook group is growing uh, very nicely. Instagram, it's a wrap with rap podcast. And YouTube, all the episodes are on YouTube. It's a wrap with rap, the podcast uncut. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. And for now, it's a wrap. <laughs>